Charles. And I'm Jeff Eaton. This is Christian Rightcast. It's a podcast where we uh, contextualize and examine the uh, the history and the ideologies and the groups and individuals involved in the Christian right, um, particularly the Christian right in America, um, to help you understand and... I guess, uh, contextualize what's going on in our cultural and social and political world right now with, uh, I guess the rise of, uh, you know, authoritarianism and our, our, our brush with fascism that we're sort of still in the process of, (laughs) um, but the Christian right um, historically has has played a lot of has played a large role in um, you know both American politics and American culture and in like the current you know state that we find ourselves in politically and culturally. Um, and this is the uh, third episode in a series that we're doing on uh, apocalypse narratives and the end times uh, in like the imagination of the Christian right and. Kristen, what are what are we going to be looking at this episode? Today we are talking about the classic uh, Christian 1972 film rapture, and rapture movie, A Thief in the Night. So, um, so just again, if you'd like to watch it there before you listen to this, there are a lot of ways you can uh, listen to it online for free. One is through the free IMDb streaming app. Um, And here's, we're going to play the trailer for you. Speculation is running high that some alien force from outside our system has declared war on our planet. And there will be no place to hide. 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 A thief in the night. I wish we'd all been ready. (laughs) Now to the screen comes a powerful story of Bible prophecy. I know what's going on is evil, but I'm not going to join it. A Thief in the Night is coming from Mark IV Pictures in color. Please do not reveal the ending. <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah. So that's it. it um, yeah, it's... If if you haven't seen A Thief in the Night, like, it's very, very B-movie. It's very, you know, uh, mystery science theater mm-hmm. kind of vibe to it. It is the first movie in a quadrilogy. It is uh, uh, followed by A Distance Under, made in 1978, Image of the Beast in 1980, then The Prodigal Planet in 1983. Now, I had never seen it before I started researching this podcast, and I think if I had been born five to ten years earlier, because I know that a lot of other Gen X evangelical kids were raised on this movie and kind of terrorized by by it as, as children. And I knew I knew people who had seen it and mm-hmm. like and had a very mixed feeling about it. Like there was this sense that like, oh, well, that was an important movie. But like, oh, yeah, it, it freaked me out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, it is. Um, it's only an hour and nine minutes long. It feels a lot longer than that. I have to. It's it's it drags. I'm I'm going to be honest. From a pure cinematography standpoint, there are parts that really drag. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is an evangelical American apocalypse story. It was filmed in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, I guess with all it, Iowans, white Iowans, uh, directed by Donald W. Thompson who directed all four movies and he collaborates with um, 
producer Russell Doughton, who is listed as a producer and un uncredited director, also on the 1958 schlock horror B movie, The Blob. Now, you were going to say a little more about that, I think. Yeah, like when when I first started digging into like the the let's say the rich history of apocalypse narratives, um, realizing that like one of the people who worked on the blob was like one of the primary, I guess, creative engines behind the thief in the night was really weird because, you know, I, I, I have historically had a taste for B movies and, you know, sort of so bad it's good type stuff. <laughs> and the, the blob always stood out as like, you know, a real classic of its era. Have um, you seen it? I, I've, I, I saw it years and years ago. Okay. Um, and like, it, it was, it was well known. Like you can right. go out and find all kinds of stuff about the history of the blob. And it's interesting because even in those uh, stories, like, you know, there's the strange history of the making of the blob and, you mm -hmm. know, how, the, how this film happened. Like you'll find references to certain people in like the production team, the cast mm -hmm. who, if you're also, looking at like the history of like Christian rapture media, those, some of those same names end up popping up. Um, the, the producer of the blob, the guy who like, you know, wrote the script and put it together and tried to produce this thing on an absolute shoestring budget. Um, originally, um, he was just looking around for like affordable talent and ended up finding, um, a, a, like a small studio called Valley Forge, studio that had made like 250 different religious films wow um, but never like any kind of feature film or anything like that before oh, so okay. like so like he basically found this small christian studio that had just been cranking out like little short christian films primarily wow. for use in like churches and stuff uh -huh. and convinced them um that you know you know, you should totally help me produce my sci-fi sci horror movie. And um, I think there's an, there's a fascinating interview with him uh, in, um, there's an article called The Strange History of the Blob Movies mm -hmm. on, a, on, a geek, on a sort of geeky movie website and um, quotes him from an interview saying like, their basic mission was to, you know, propagate the word of God um, and you know, they were doing pretty well, but they were starving to death at the same time. And I oh. convinced them that we should, you know, take what facilities they had and come up with films that a lot of people would come and see. And if they did it right, we'd do it again. And, you know, I, you know, their, their message of the gospel would, you know, get more traction and then I'd get to produce my B movies. <laughs> so did the sort of this house, like some spiritual no, okay. no, it, it was okay. about a giant gelatinous blob <laughs> that like terrorized a town. No, yeah, my it, dad saw it in a theater. It came out when he was six years old. He talked about it. Yeah, he it scared him. Yeah, he and, six. And I, yeah, I I honestly think that like watching a thief in the night, especially if you compare it to some of the real early like proto rapture apocalypse end times films that preceded it mm -hmm. like there it, it, it is better like it is there there is a certain like schlocky it's it's schlocky it's a b-movie but like there's a an a familiarity with the like the rhythms and the tropes of, of yeah 
how you freak somebody out in like a low budget movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that really does come through it does it definitely does um yeah so and, and we'll talk more about that as we talk about what happens in the movie so um the movie chronicles the spiritual trajectories of three friends three white women who all take uh different spiritual paths uh, in response to uh, evangelical Christianity, as it is explained to them, and who have uh, very different experiences of the uh, biblical end time or the alleged biblical end time. So the movie opens with a ticking clock and a screen. Very evocative. Yeah. <laughs> screen that announces in bright yellow te uh, uh, text. Keep a sharp lookout, for you do not know when I will come, at evening, at midnight, early dawn, or late daybreak. Don't let me find you sleeping. And the quote is attributed to Jesus Christ. Now, this is, uh, it's from the Gospel of Mark, I'll just say, chapter 13, verse 37. That is the Living Bible Translation. Very popular uh -huh. at the time. It, it was, the Living was Bible it? was like big news at the time that this came out. Interesting. I remember we had it in my childhood church when I was like five. Yeah. Okay. So like, I, obviously it's not what this episode is about, but like yeah. the living Bible actually represents um, a sort of cultural tension, especially with fundamentalism. In, it in, was in like the, the sort of uh, simplified version of the Bible. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was like <laughs> a transliterated into modern vernacular yeah. sort of thing. The rather precursor than like, to like the message, which was a Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and interestingly enough, this is, again, deep, deep trivia bits, but the um, the company that did the living the the publisher that did the living bible and uh -huh. really sort of you know was buoyed up by the <clears throat> the revenues from the living bible for decades was uh, Tyndale House uh -huh. which later ended up uh, publishing the books left the left behind series oh okay um and so so the main protagonist is played by a woman named Patty Dunning her character is a uh, Patty Myers, she is not an evangelical Christian at the time when her husband is raptured. And um, the narrative sort of centers, we are going to go through it, but it, it centers on her decision to become an evangelical Christian and take a stand against like the forces of the Antichrist during the the tribulation period of the end times. Now, um, who hasn't been there? I mean, <laughs> Dunning was 21 when she starred in this movie. And um, according to IMDb, she appeared, I think in the first three thief in the night movies, I've only seen the first one. Um, and as, and then a couple of other Christian movies, but I think she left the industry pretty early to work as a physical therapist. So and I, I, this is kind of a spoiler for anybody who wants to just shotgun their way through all four movies at once. Mm -hmm. Like, even by the very, very tenuous standards of premillennial dispensationalism, by like the second or third movie, they're really out there and they're, 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 they're improvising a lot of material that is in no way connected whatsoever to the quote scriptural, you know. <laughs> timeline uh like they've got you know radiation mutants and you know oh okay yeah yeah so you know, oh that's interesting they they, <laughs> they, they, they kind of had to you know 
they had a successful series on their hands and they had to come up with material. Wow. So, so the, um, the, the movie opens after the, the Bible verse, she, she bolts out of bed. She hears a radio announcer urgently telling listeners thousands, maybe millions of people have just disappeared. Millions who were living on this earth last night are not here this morning. Some feel it to be a spectacular judgment of God. So, um, she looks, she starts looking around for her husband, Jim. But he's not there, and this radio is just droning on and on. And she goes and she walks in the bathroom, sees that his um, electric razor has fallen in the sink and is still buzzing. And then there's we get a we get like a close up shot of of that. And then she's it, it away from her face, and we hear this disembodied scream. And that's our first horror movie trope. it's it's honestly like it's well executed like just from from a production standpoint it it's good i mean it's it's pretty well executed yeah okay (laughs) i mean you're talking to somebody who voluntarily watched battlefield earth so oh see i i would do that just because it's it's a scientology movie so you know yes that's true (laughs) but i haven't yet but i would but anyway yeah and, um, and like but like, and that, this is what kind of fascinates me, like just from a pure cinematography standpoint, it feels like this is a film held back by its material because in the moments where all it's really shooting for is those moments of like, you know, gripping your heart or, you know, yeah. like, you know, giving you a scare, it's actually really good at it. It's and then good. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. if I were, if I had seen it when I was really little, I would have been scared. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, um, but then, like, immediately it crossfades into the world's <laughs> lamest youth group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll get to that. So she walks back in the bedroom, where the there's a past there. There's a radio announcer says that a pastor is is suggesting this might be the the rapture. So yes, we get a, this flashback to the church basement, and it's oh, you're right. It's a really bad. And so a man's reading a passage from the Bible. The one thing you see in this movie, like all the people that they consider real Christians are obsessed with the end times. So um, he's going, so this youth group leader, who's also the band leader, is saying the world will be at ease, banquets and parties and weddings, just as it was in Noah's time before the flood. People couldn't believe what was going to happen until the flood actually arrived and took them all away. So um, he's he's laying out this narrative about what's going to happen. And, and the three friends are sitting at a table um, and he says, friends, if you haven't given your life to Christ, do it and do it now. The rapture will come. This is all these people talk about in this movie. The rapture will come. And it says in the Bible, he will come like a thief in the night. And we see one of the friends, Diane, who's this tall, blonde woman who's supposed to be worldly and sinful. Rolling. You, you can tell because <laughs> she winks at someone. Yeah, yeah, she does. And she's rolling her eyes a little and smirking. And so this is get the foreshadowing that she's going to be the bad antichrist affiliated friend. And then we also we see Patty, the main character, who looks open to it, but a little confused. And then we see Jenny, who is like, who is enthralled and definitely buying into all this. Um, yeah, so- it's she 
extremely credulous reaction to the 20 year old youth group leader with a guitar saying, I know how the world is going to end. Yeah. So, so they, as they sit and contemplate these things, the opening credits roll and this very insipid song about the rapture kicks (laughs) off. It's called, we wish we'd all been ready. It's act. There's a history to this song. Is there? Tell, tell me. It, so, um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of Larry Norman? Um, I hadn't until I, you know, I looked it up who wrote the song, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, Larry Norman was like the, the album that I wish we'd all been ready appeared on okay. was one of the first ever Christian rock albums. Really? And okay. Yeah. It, it was like he was basically one of the, like, you know, Jesus people era, mm-hmm. um, you know, musicians who was just decided he was going to do an album about the stuff that he cared about. (laughs) And a lot of it was this, you know, the dispensationalist rapture end of the world stuff. And he wrote songs like, you know, I wish we'd all been ready. And I think another one was, uh, uh, just visiting this planet, something like that. It was, you know, the idea was, you know, earth isn't really our home. Heaven is where we belong, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And he ended up going on to become like a key figure in the early, um, in the early Christian rock music production world and stuff like that. Like if, if, if you, if you're familiar with the names, he was associated with like the swirling eddies Mm -hmm. and a bunch of those other very, very early and influential Christian bands. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so um, we wanted to play you a, a clip of the song. so that you Yeah, can it's, if you listen to the lyrics, they get dark. Yeah. Children died, the days grew cold, <laughs> a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no also, time. Rock music moves slow. Okay. So we won't make you listen to to everything, but um yeah, this song's been really influential in evangelical culture too. It has been covered by everyone from DC Talk to Jordan Sparks, who recorded it as part of the soundtrack for the 2014 Left Behind film starring Nicolas Cage. And it like when you actually listen to it, a lot of it is this the <clears throat> the fundamental imagery of like of a movie like mm-hmm. a thief in the night. You know, it's it's structurally it's just a bunch of like pull quotes from different places from different images in the Bible, like, you know, um, you know, two women sitting by a well and, you know, they're in the blink of an eye, you know, one of them's gone and the other one is left behind. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, families, you know, one goes, one stays and yeah. And then like, and then it sort of veers into the, like the weird, like, you know, children dying and starving and, you know, I yeah, think the, we don't, line... we don't see that in this movie, but do we see that in the, um, I mean, it sequel? gets grim. There's, there's yeah. like, radi- there's radiation mutants. Right. I'm just going to, so, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's my, that's, that's my intense. key point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely pretty intense. All right. So, so um, after the credits roll, the three friends are at this amusement park and we get a lot more horror tropes. 
We've got disembodied clown laughter from and, and repeated shots of a fun house. Um, and a quick shot of a scary clown. Um, and then it's, it's just a split second and it's very easy to miss, but that we cut to a racist caricature of, of a black person, um, at some kind of like marvels of the world booth at, at a carnival, like one of the racist type exhibits. Um, and you see it for just a split second. It's just used, um, to, to, to be evocative and to, to, um, make us feel horrified. Sort of um, yeah. Give the viewer a sort of a jump. Right. And I, the first time I watched the movie, I, th- I was really looking at my phone most of the time. So I don't, I don't, I didn't even see, notice it the first time. Um, it's split second, very easy to miss. And, um, it's significant for the in your face racism, but also because of the fact that the only characters followed in the movie are white, uh, the only yeah. actresses, the only people whose spiritual trajectories the film finds interesting are these three white women. So, um, and it it is um, that all these horror tropes are a backdrop for these three friends <clears throat> having a conversation about the church youth group thing they just went to. Um, it, it is like structurally, I, I it is like this time jump that it keeps, that it does is interesting. Like you start yeah. with, you know, the main character or the, you know, the, the primary character, you know, right. wakes up. Yeah. Her husband's we, missing. Right. 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 And then we go back in time. Before yeah. The, and it's like, yeah. Ha- what, what happened before here? And it's, it's it, you know, yeah. structurally, I mean, compared to, you know, the earlier one I mentioned in the previous episode, uh, mm-hmm. if footmen tire you, what will horses do? Which is literally a recorded sermon by a man named Estes Perkle intercut with like really bad, like, you know, Atlanta area people trying to do Russian accents to play like, you know, communist soldiers taking over, like compared Mm -hmm. to that, this is the citizen cane of, of rapture movies. All right. So, um, so, um, Diane, the, the bad friend, I thought it was a bunch of bull. That's how she says it. And, uh, Patty, strong language. Yes, Diane. strongly. Patty says she thinks they're taking this a little too far. She says, I mean, I'm a Christian, but not like he was talking about. This is kind of how she said how that acting sounds. Yeah. I go to church just about every week. I try to follow the Ten Commandments. I read my Bible once in a while and I try to help people if they need it. What else is there? And um, and this is this is that this is that classic like obsession with the true versus lukewarm yeah the people who aren't real christians so um i mean you know and i think that this seems like a pretty healthy attitude to have about faith but as we know from the rapture scene it's not going to be enough to get raptured with the real the real christians and um, you gotta buy in if you don't want to be there for the tribulation yeah, so Jenny goes back to what she calls the Christian Teen Center to ask more questions. She and, means, and Jenny's the like the super like into it like friend. Yeah, who yeah. Is, like, 
so, very clearly like, yeah, I, I need I need to hear more about this. Mm-hmm. And she, okay, this is such a weird scene because it's like the thing where evangelical Christians think that their people just don't know about Jesus and like they have this conversation and the way that the real Christian women talk in this movie is so weird. I'm going to try to to do how her voice is. So the youth group leader, she's like, that's right, Jenny. In a way, it is free. What I mean is it doesn't cost anything but your life. You're letting the God who created you, the God who loves you more than any other person could, you're letting him take over. He's done it for us, Jenny. Like they talk in these really high breathy, it's weird. So then Jenny does, did you notice that? I, you know, it, it's pretty creepy when you think back about it. But, <laughs> yeah. Like, but th- there's also that thing that you mentioned, though, that like it's it's very typical in how people are prepared for the concept of evangelism mm-hmm. in in some of these in in the subculture. Like, there's this idea that the rest of the world who has been living in a predominantly Christian nation <laughs> filled with Christian Just in like, a bubble. presuppositions and cultural assumptions and holidays and everyone yeah. is just like, wait, so there was a person named Jesus. Yeah. Like that's, more. that's Jenny's reaction. She is shocked. So as they go deeper into this conversation, she has this mousy voice too. And she tells, tells her about Jesus dying for our sins. And Jenny goes, that seems so unfair. And she gets really emotional. And so she bows her head. So she's like, like she's just never heard the story before. So she quick, she bows her head. She prays to accept Jesus into her heart. Um, and then, and it, then it, it's a classic like rapture or sorry. It's a classic like conversion moment. Yeah. You know? So she the asks, details of it are less important than the arc of it. Right. She asked God to come and, and live in her heart and the church woman says, God always answers that prayer. And Jenny says, he has. I already feel it. I feel him, which is so weird and creepy. But um, so she's saved in terms that are acceptable in 1970s charismatic dispensationalism, meaning she is ready for the rapture, unlike our two other cautionary tales. Um, <laughs> and, and Patty, while she may not be the the reprobate that her her friend is, <laughs> is just is just too lukewarm. Yes, yes, Patty's too lukewarm. She's not going to get raptured. So, and, and as a side note for for anybody who's not like familiar with like the vernacular, mm-hmm. um, that comment about someone being lukewarm is actually a line from the book of revelation in which like okay. one of the things that John of Potmos, who's, you know, writing this book, he relays this vision of Jesus, like assessing these three churches. And spitting and, out the lukewarm. Right. And like one, one, each one is sort of analogized to a, a cup of water and mm-hmm. one is cool and refreshing and the other is hot and, you know, obviously disgusting. So disgusting. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. there's the lukewarm one. Yeah. And it's neither hot nor right. cold. Right. That's the one that's it's disgusting. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
Okay, so... So the word lukewarm is used almost universally to describe like Christians who are nominally Christians, but... They'll say they're Christians, but then they'll be like, I mean, I'm a good person. That That's what they mean. They don't think they're a real Christian. So, right. so um, while Jenny is devoting her life to Christ, the other two women stay at the carnival. They start flirting with some guys. Diane gets on a helicopter with one of the guys for no reason other than this was an odd subplot yeah i'm I'm gonna have to yeah so yeah for no reason i will say however yeah jerry bradford the helicopter pilot Mm -hmm. has an amazing mustache yeah i he did that's true the very solid 70s stash yes oh yeah totally so so um so that's so patty's gonna he's gonna she's gonna end up with this mustache guy um and um and Jenny and Patty are ha- after the helicopter ride hang out again, and they both talk about has there's how Diane is slugging it up with a different guy lifeguard at the pool. And Patty doesn't approve. Like they're so oh, they're so they're so it's so funny. They um uh Patty doesn't approve of it. She's like. She's she's like I thought the guy she met at the fair really got to her. So they're 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 like, oh Diane's a bad woman. Um, she's yeah she's she's not following Christ. So um, so Jenny is bad. Jenny goes back to the Christian group and the guy from the band who's saying we wish we'd all been ready, tells her that the devil is upset that she's become a Christian and he's going to be attacking yeah, her. seems fair, you know. <laughs> I don't begrudge him that. So so he's going to be attacking her to keep her from Jesus. And, um, and he also tells her that other people might approve. So gearing her up for some persecution. Um, then we get another and- unnecessary water skiing scene. Um, and there isn't really even, a, there, there's not like actually a lot of payoff even for this structurally in the film. No. It's just sort of hitting key beats. It's just for... like showing that we're friends doing things together and these guys are still here that they're interested in. So um, Diane notices that the band leader has come um, has come with Jenny on the the water skiing trip and says, is that the guy who was talking about all that scary stuff? So Jenny says, that's just what Christians believe. So, so that's, you know, that's what would the real Christians believe. Once again, classic, yeah, classic fundamentalist play. This isn't dispense. This isn't premillennial dispensation. This is just what Christians Christians believe. Exactly. So Diane changes the subject again. Here they hit this with Patty being too slutty, um, asking her how things are going uh, with her new boyfriend, and she says she probably needs to teach Patty. some about sex well she says a thing or two about the birds and the bees well which is about the raciest thing that, that, that is, a, uh, said a in religious there. movie from the 1970s is gonna yeah, go yeah that's 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 yeah jenny does not approve because she doesn't think this is christ-like behavior and she walks away she talks in this high weird voice now she's like i'm sorry diane i just don't want to hear that kind of talk and um 
Diane makes fun of her, and then it's established that they're both dating, that Patty and Diane are both dating these two guys who were told are doctors. Um, the, the ones that they met at the fair? Yeah, yeah, the two guys. Helicopter, helicopter ride, ride, 70s mustache guy. Yeah, and... he's the helicopter pilot, um, and he's with Diane, and she's dating the other one who's named Jimmy. So then we go back to another youth group scene, and this youth group, like I said, is obsessed with the end times. It's the only thing they talk about. Jenny's there, and so are the other two couples. Um, Diane and her boyfriend kind of make fun of the whole thing. Uh, Patty's boyfriend is open, asking questions about it. He's interested. That's Jimmy. Um Patty says... Jer- Jerry, Di- Diane's boyfriend, Jerry. Diane's the the is Jerry, mustache. yes. Uh-huh. Wait, or, oh, oh, uh, yeah. So, he is, so Diane's he is asking boyfriend, kind of mocking questions. But he, then... he ends up going on in future films to become a literal agent of the end. Oh, that's... Well, he kind of does in this film. We'll get to that, right? Um, I mean, he, he, he becomes a high-ranking. I mean, he... Oh, oh, he's, wow. Yeah, he's, okay. He gets so, promotions. I'll have to. I'll have. I'll, this is making me actually kind of want to watch them. Um, See, so, be, everyone listening, be careful. You can actually get invested in these terrible films if you take the time <laughs> to break them down. Yeah. So, um, and then Patty's boyfriend Jimmy is more. He's asking more open questions. Um, so Patty's like, um, my grandma used to talk about a thing called the Mark of the Beast. The youth group band guy says. It's probably some kind of identification mark based on the number 666. It says in the Bible that people won't be able to buy or sell anything without it. Kind of like a super evil credit card, only it'll be on your hand or forehead. So Patty is is really perplexed and she's like, but my minister never talks about it. <laughs> oh, that, that's foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then we get a quick shot of Patty's church service. Her pastor, Reverend Turner, is shown giving this mainline non-evangelical sermon, which the movie wants us to be wary of. Um, He disputes, he kind of goes through the greatest hits and he's like, yeah, we don't really believe that the virgin birth happened or the 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 miracles of Jesus, and the do- we don't agree with the doctrine of original sin or ideas about hell. So these are meant to be like warning signs that he isn't a real Christian. Uh, he and, and this is again like the fundamental narrative of fundamentalism, oh, like this right. this idea that these mainline Christian denominations are the lukewarm church Mm -hmm. from revelation yeah and he says the bible is quote a poetic expression of those greater principles by which man lives with man so like i don't know again a pretty healthy attitude in my opinion to take towards the bible but not in this movie nope um we get to patty's that we we shoot that we do a new scene patty's boyfriend um this makes no sense. It's it is kind of a horror. Oh, the, oh is this the, this is the snake scene. Yeah, he's being snake stalked scene. by. Oh, I think it's is... a python who that attacks him. He's just being stalked by. But the it, thing. it's a cobra. I'm pretty it's sure. It's a cobra. It's a... Okay, I don't yeah, know snakes. Yeah. Okay, I believe you. Um, so he's um he's rushed to the hospital in in this 1972 ambulance, which is 
It's basically the same as the Ghostbusters car. I, yeah, I was gonna say it's like, <laughs> like the Ghostbusters like car, but with you know like red a red paint job. Right. I'm I'm still. I had to go back and watch this section twice <laughs> just to make sure I hadn't missed some critical. Why is Patty's okay. boyfriend like? Take, well, why is there a cobra sneaking up on him? I don't and know. That just, is never explained. No, no, no. It just happened. And um, in the waiting room, Patty is really anxious and tapping her feet, but Jenny isn't because she's a Christian and she trusts Jesus and stuff. So, um, so <laughs> Patty asks the um the doctor what's going on and the i don't think this is a real thing the treatment plan you learn a lot of like random bits about like horse serum so, so and... the, whoa, wait, wait. the treatment plan is they're gonna get a man who who owns a snake farm who's bitten been bitten a lot by these snakes and is said to have built up the antibodies necessary to fight off this kind of bite and so Jim has to get a blood transfusion from the snake farm man. Now, we're not doctors or anything, but I I don't know. Um it <laughs> I, I will say this. In in a movie that's only like roughly 70, 80 minutes long, there's a lot of screen time <laughs> dedicated. To like this whole unexpected cobra sneaking up on a guy, and <laughs> how where will we find anti venom? The movie, nothing. To do no, with the movie. no. It... Yeah. Okay. So, um, so Jenny's pastor comes into the hospital and prays for Jim, while the snake farm guy is getting in that I think probably that same helicopter and coming to the hospital. Gets there. Just they only had time. budget for one helicopter. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jim is saved by the this venom, the anti venom or whatever. And uh, Patty, and they marry. yeah, they get married. She holds his hand in the operating room so we can see it's serious. And then, then we cut to Jenny at church. Um, she is with her mother and her little sister Susan, who I think maybe playing a little younger than she actually is she looks like she's about 12 but we see her playing with a little doll later and i so i don't know who, how old she's supposed to be um but uh the implication is that um jenny has been telling her family about you know about what she's learned about jesus and so Jenny and her family run into Jim, who is Patty's boyfriend, and he's got this new lease on life since the Cobra thing. Um, and um, so he goes in with them, and this is this pastor is contra uh, you know a contrast to the other pastor. This one is a real Christian, so all he talks about is also the end times. And he reads the verse again about the, he says, the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He starts talking about who the Antichrist will be. He says, he'll bring about a, quote, season of peace, although his ultimate end will be a revenge against God. 
He says the Antichrist could be living right now, and it's possible he could be, quote, active in government even this very day. The writing is not great. So he says we're clearly living in the end times because prophecies are, are being fulfilled. He doesn't really specify which ones, but we know this is what they see as the establishment of the nation of Israel, you know, and I think that's the main one that they think is being fulfilled. Um, Yeah. The dispensationalists lean real heavily on that one. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Never mentioned in this. So they managed to avoid anti-Semitism in this film, at least. So, um, so he, um, he starts talking about the, you know, people who become terrified when they see that someone is unexpectedly gone and they think the rapture might have happened without them. And we get this close-up shot of Susan, the child sister of Jenny, like who's about 12, playing a little bit younger, and she's seriously taking this in. Um, she's got these these bra- two braids. She looks like... Um, the the uh i don't know melissa gilbert is that her name from the actress uh from little house on the prairie and oh oh, um yeah yeah and we're supposed to see her as this innocent child so so after hearing this one day she goes into her house after school she doesn't see anybody in her family there and she calls her mom and sees tea left to boil over on the stove she calls for her mom several times and can't find her, so she thinks the rapture has happened and she's been left behind. She starts... I mean, whomst among us hasn't been there once or twice? <laughs> I, I mean, like, so not joking. Like, I, I've known tons oh, of people who come from the evangelical background yeah, who, so who relate that, you know, moment after, who, yeah. after all of these narratives being such a part of their conversations and stuff yeah, like that. If it would, if it was, this would have, yeah. So yeah, you said this happened to you, right? Oh yeah. You know, I mean, you know, once or twice and you know, it's, you know, you re- you don't realize your, you know, family are like out in the backyard or, you know, doing something and yeah. you come home and everyone's gone and, there's just this moment of like, oh my God, did it happen? Is this it? Have I been left behind? Because that is literally the, the entire narrative of this. Like that's right, right. It you you think that because it's literally what this message is. Yeah, it is. I was not nearly as steeped in like my parents were not into this, uh, but I think that I was so sure that I would never be left behind. That this never entered my mind. <laughs> when i read these books um that's the best way to go yeah yeah um so um so that we she the kids start screaming and we get these close-up horror screams with this like pulsating music it's another horror trope um of course jenny i mean what's her name Susan, the little girl, has not been left behind. Her mother and her sister, Jenny, come in to hug her. And she says, you know, she thought she had more time to accept Jesus into her heart, but that this showed her she may not. So she decides after being terrorized like this, that she has to um, ask Jesus into her heart and become saved right the second. Um, I, yeah. What's... So there's this interesting aspect to the the idea of 
the rapture could come at literally mm-hmm. any moment and that's it that's your last chance you know you've been left behind it's it's like a large scale version of if you were if you walked outside and you were hit by a bus do you know whether you'd go to heaven like that classic like hard sell street evangelism question right that you know it floated there but with this it's like you know amped up to apocalyptic levels Mm -hmm. but fundamentally the dilemma being presented is what if you were hit by a bus tomorrow yeah it's a horrible way to like uh coerce a child into into this type of oh yeah so mm -hmm. so um so she asks jesus into her heart um she says that she does actually say the prayer kind of right in time to be raptured although before we get to the rapture we see that uh patty and jim get married um we just see these snapshots of their their uh very montage montage but not live action just just photographs (laughs) um but yeah um and uh an instrumental version of i wish we'd all been ready plays in in the background and um we see uh the real christian pastor jenny's pastor at patty and jim's house after this montage uh having this spiritual conversation with jim and jim like uh, the most important the most important moments of these people's lives are just like sort of montage filler between conversions yes (laughs) yeah so jim is asking patty what she thinks of all this and she says it's all beyond me. I've been raised in the church, taught to do the best I can, to believe in God and hope for the best. What else is there? So that's the second time she says that. She's like, I mean, I'm good. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I'm as good as the next person. Maybe better. And we're supposed to be like, oh, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun. So the pastor says, well, God made us for himself that he might enjoy us and that we might enjoy him. But we, well, actually you, you broke that relationship when you didn't choose Christ. And she says, I never made that choice. And the pastor says, have you ever chosen for him? Uh, she's the, the, that yeah. whole like cold, hot, lukewarm thing. It's, yeah. That's yeah. the major theme of this movie. So, um, she says, maybe not, but my minister, the bad minister, says, we don't have to get all hung up on that theology stuff. God is love, and he's not going to destroy us just because we can't help doing wrong, is he? Um, but, well, the faster says, well, no, it's true that God is love, and God is holy, but God will also punish sin, so... Jim tries to come to terms with this, and he's told... By the pastor that the cobra thing was um, a uh, like a way of God bringing him to Jesus. So, so um, See, I I thought it was just an inexplicable time filler. Yes, but it turns <laughs> out it was a critical part of God's plan. Yeah, and then uh, the pastor says. So, so wait, so Jim says that this kid's, or no, this snake farmer's blood had the cure, and which pass, which prompts the pastor to say, exactly, Jesus's blood had the cure. So, Jim... In a, in a way, yeah. <laughs> aren't, aren't we all a cobra-bitten 
1970s medic. Yeah. Waiting for the snake venom infused blood. You know, no, I, I'm, I'm losing track. It's such a bizarre plot metaphor. that they came up with. Like, how can we, how can we make it about him, but also have him say exactly Jesus's blood had the cure. It's um, so. Yeah, it, it, it feels like it, it's one of those moments where you're like, in retrospect, I understand what they were like, the line they were trying to yeah, work towards. But, it, but an unexpected cobra bite feels like a really obtuse way to get there. So he does get there, though. He says, I believe it. I'm ready to accept Christ. And Patty looks a little disappointed. Okay, so um, then we get some... Because, you know, he's he's yeah. getting a little too into this, but, you know. Yeah, so then uh, Jim goes to shave himself, and we know from the shaving, the sha- the, the electric oh, razor, yeah. yeah. That, 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 uh-huh. that ominous, like, corded razor that uh, he had plugged in. Yep. So... Um, Bat- battery-operated razors totally not invented yet yeah so all the uh evangelical dispensationalist christians are suddenly gone uh the little girl and like the little the, the girl's moment... gone and her little dolls on the side of the road um everybody's sorry what were you gonna say no, no i was just gonna say like this the the way that they actually do the moment of the rapture is just nothing yeah. You know, it's like there's, you know, somebody's going out to mow their lawn and, mm-hmm. you know, the little girl's running out with her doll and, you know, then they're gone. You know, husband is shaving and, mm-hmm. and then there's just nothing. And, you know, there's like things are continuing and then the ominous. Yeah, you know, there's a nothing but the radio voice um, just droning on and on. And he says, the Air Force has stopped all flights, and traffic has stopped in California, where drivers have disappeared. Then he says, this just in from Central News Agency. The UN has established a special emergency committee and has a big announcement to make. So here we see a very, very common trope in apocalypse narratives in which the UN is going to be the source of this evil that's about to happen. Um, and this is like, it, like this is a very, like a, a very sudden kind of switch for the movie. Cause like it started with, it started with this scene yeah. of like her waking up yeah. to the radio, her husband's gone, she screams and it jumps back. And it's the sort of like the path that their lives are, have followed mm-hmm. the one friend who, you know, followed Jesus, the one friend who disregarded him, and then yeah. Patty, who we spend most of our time with, who was, you know, cool with God, but didn't take it too seriously, and bam, she's left she's behind. She's left behind. And, she's not and, and then from this point on, it's all like the unfolding horror mm-hmm. of, the, you know, yeah, right. post-rapture tribulation and how right. how terrible it is for everyone. Right. So, um, yeah. So like so the, the we get the the UN announcement and um, we see the UN guy who's never introduced but he's this UN guy he's wearing an armband styled like a like a Nazi armband um, it's bright yellow and says unite on it um, so this is the United Nations Imperium of total emergency unite i gotta think that's <laughs> that is a fantastic acronym yeah like, but the, the imperium yeah. of total emergency yeah Who the idea 
The idea of the United Nations having anything called an imperium is hilarious. So um, it's it's designed, it's they, the, the man says, to exercise total power for as long as the emergency exists. Which again is hilarious because the United Nations is organized around conventions, kind of like treaties, that are pretty unenforceable. Um yeah, it, I mean, but this this speaks to like a classic, it, it's not even a misconception. I don't even know what to call it. Like a classic mm-hmm. trope of both right-wing conspiracy theories and Christian apocalyptic like Yeah, nations. so the John Birch Society, you know, there's a lot of paranoia about the United Nations because it's seen as pro-communist. And, you know, among right-wingers, far right-wing, and then Christian right-wingers have this added apocalyptic narrative, you know, in which they think any kind of global cooperation is because of this verse in... um, in Revelation. Do you know the well, verse? In, in addition to that, there's like um, Super Church, one of the books that we've mentioned a couple of times uh-huh. in previous episodes yeah. in this series, actually has a section talking about like the role of anti-ecumenicalism mm. in like fundamentalism's like early years, yeah. like resistance to groups like the World Council of Churches oh, yeah, that yeah. were formed to like get different churches and denominations talking <laughs> to each other. That's a pretty good, pretty good group that does things for hunger and stuff yeah um but but it but it became like a, an equivalent sort of like big bad oh in, like the un of churches yeah yeah okay. and like it, so the theme of like attempts to unify globally uh-huh. or to bring people to a table and talk about things that is like that's a sort of consistent boogeyman mm-hmm. in fundamentalist like theology and like cultural narratives. And I think like that carries through to these movies so clearly. Mm, very much. Um, yeah. So the, the belief com- um, comes from a specific reading of the book of, of revelation in which it says the, uh, and this says the antichrist will be quote, allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them and given authority over every tribe and people and language and all the inhabitants of the earth will worship it. Um, so yeah, so you, you, I'm going to say like, this guy can't be the antichrist. He, he doesn't turn out no, to be the antichrist. He doesn't. He's doesn't. like, he looks like maybe a school superintendent. Yeah, from the he does, and he's he's kind of just an agent of the Antichrist. The he's one, not Antichrist. No, he's the one we the one we see on TV. Um, and this is combined with this kind of anti-communist furor that we see in the, that you know the the Cold War is raging, um, you know, and and global cooperation is feared and. Um, these kind of, all these ideas are uh, Phyllis Schlafly and her husband were members of the John Birch Society, by the way. Um, and all these, it's that, it, for yeah. those who aren't familiar, Phyllis Schlafly was like the co-founder or the founder of like Concerned, Concerned Women, Women for America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and led, led the, the political movement against the Equal Rights Amendment. And um, so these kinds of ideas are are all kind of coming together to make Christian conservatives really nervous about any kind of worldwide 
cooperation. And um, now the book of Revelation also describes the uh, Antichrist as, quote, a monster that rises out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on its horns were ten diadems, and on its head were blasphemous names, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Now, in none of these uh, uh, rapture film uh, narratives do we get a literal, a literal monster. We just get a man. Um, so they're able to like admit that this verse isn't literal, but nonetheless, they want to make they want to make literal predictions from this this book, which is in verse and um, is is told <laughs> you know now, i i will offer up one exception mm-hmm. um there there was um a manga a, a pokemon style manga adaptation of the book of revelation called apocamon final mm-hmm. judgment mm-hmm. that did in fact portray the antichrist as a giant multi-horned leopard dragon but that's a secular portrayal right it it, it was mm-hmm. which is ironic because it, it was the only one that seemed to take that particular. That's interesting. Thing. That that literally. Uh, um, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure how theologically sincere a Pokemon Final Judgment was, but uh, it was an interesting adaptation. Yeah. So so this it, the, we get some numbers coming up, which are kind of significant. Verse to the verse I just read, like so the UN guy, the guy with the rimmed glasses who just looks like so like yeah like a school principal or something he says the un will have you know the total authority until the emergency passes again and he says unite is governed by 10 world powers these are the 10 uh, the 10 diadems consist yeah consistent symbol symbol yeah consisting of six committees from within those countries of six members each so we get two of the six six that that make up the six six but i guess six in itself is also an evil number right um you know you just kind of move fast and you know keep keep predicting things yeah so i don't know it seems like they're like to me this seems like revelation trolling like if redditors were in charge of setting up a cooperative world organization to deal with an international emergency there would be a lot of tens and six six sixes involved you know yeah um at this point if you're going to take over the world you know you might as well just litter it with six six sixes just lean into oh yeah so um so the UN guy tries to uh, to reassure people. As soon as the emergency has passed, he says, "We will return to self-rule for all nations," which is is meant to be a lie. That's not going to happen. No, we, we, we've seen this script before. Yeah. So I've, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I mean, I've, I've read a lot of I've, I've read a lot of rapture novels. I you know, <laughs> the end. The Antichrist never scales back. Caesar never gives up power, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we get a newspaper heading set to ominous music that says, Unite Leader Assures, not a big brother, in this weird nod to Orwell. Like, you wonder if they've ever really read Orwell, because anyway. 
Um, my I'm not Big Brother t-shirt is answering a lot of questions <laughs> raised by my I'm not Big Brother t-shirt. Exactly. So um, we see Patty. She's walking anxiously along a pathway to this ominous music. And then we show another, see another headline, this like a snapshot of a newspaper in which Imperium calls for total support. And then, okay, we do get a real quick snapshot in which communism is involved. We see the headline, Soviets strand 100 air tourists, um, which is just part of the anti-communist paranoia, I think. But what are air tourists? You know, I, I don't know. That's, anyway, that's a good question. Okay. I, There's a lot like the... The secondary headlines on a bunch of these newspapers are a little are, are kind of head scratchers. Like one of them, is yeah, American swimmer stranded and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, there but, is something going on with the Soviets and communism. We're supposed yeah. to, yeah. Um, and then we see the the nerdy glasses guy, the UN guy. He says the Imperium in no way wishes to infringe upon the rights of the citizens of the world. It is just a simple necessity. Um, so then we, we cut to this community health clinic, uh, or, or something like that. It just looks like some sort of local government building. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's like, it's like the campaign headquarters for like your, your, whatever your local, you know, like state representatives campaign is. It has that kind of look. To this it. is where I caught something funny. Um, the passage in Revelation says the mark of the beast is applied to the forehead or the right hand, but we actually see it applied to the left hand in this movie because that's just what they're doing. They're just putting their left hands on the table and getting the mark of the beast on it. On it. And I'm, wow. Yeah. Um, that, that is a real, real embarrassing fail for any antichrist organization. <laughs> yeah. You, you yeah, go to the effort of taking the mark of the, of the beast, right? So, you, and you put the mark of the beast on the wrong hand for everybody. Does it even count? I've never understood the mark of the beast thing. Like, can't you just like repent after you get it so that you can buy and sell things? Can't you just like ask Jesus into your heart after you get the mark of the beast so that you can pretend to be? You know what I'm but, saying? But if you planned on that, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, it's, it's... yeah. Okay, but okay. I don't know. <laughs> so, but there's, you know, so anyway, um, so like, so they're putting this, uh, what they're putting on people's hands is a barcode, like an old barcode. It doesn't look like barcodes now. It's like a series of like circles and lines yeah. and it, it, Maybe it's, it's like what a, they use. Like a logo. They call it a barcode. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know if that's what they used to look like, but um, so so it's the, the we find out later it's the barcode for the number six six six. So it's the literal mark of the beast, and we see people from what I wrote here was we see people from all white walks of life getting the mark of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> every every middle-aged and and young iowan white iowan you can imagine yeah, is yeah. represented they're all there um they it just looks like they're putting like a stamp like an ink stamp on people's hands to me but um 
so there's a younger woman and there's this elderly man who's enthusiastically says, I'm not afraid to be a good citizen. And he gets it on his head, which nobody would choose. You would get it on your hand. Wow. You wouldn't you wouldn't get this red. It's this red thing, circles and lines just on your forehead. You would never do that. And it, it just he he's just trying too hard. He's trying, yeah, for sure. So um, we see Patty walking around getting discouraged because she's not allowed to buy or sell anything. She keeps walking by stores that say citizens only. And she's been, because she won't get the mark, she's um, stripped of citizenship. Um, and the citizens Which, only know- signs are meant to recall Jim Crow whites only signs, clearly. Um, so, right? I, you know. Totally. There's, it says citizens only so that's what they're trying to harken back to like christians being are going to be discriminated against in the same way um i think you know i i'm gonna be honest i you you don't think so it's there there's a point at which like there's so much sort of like there's so many just different weird aspects of like the slurry of like dispensationalist and like end times Mm -hmm. ideas that have just been sort of tossed into a blender and frapped up to make this movie that I, I just have, I I don't know what they're trying to hearken to in some of these things. Like there's certain things where you're like, Oh yeah, that's a core Christian trope. I think they're thinking they saw this during the, you know, the civil rights era. And oh, yeah, you know, that, that's little, true. Like, this is 72. Yeah, so, yeah. like, you know, it, it's it's in I, yeah. an era where the I think end of Jim Crow is... Oh, they'll know rough. what that means, a sign that says yeah. citizens only. So, um, like, we're being excluded because we won't take the mark. Right, right. So, um, so, um, she walks by all kinds of stores. She's unable to get prescriptions filled. She can't do anything. It's all set to this ominous horror music. And um, people are showing up at these, uh, lined up at these Unite Centers to get the mark of the beast. And uh, Patty sees her bad friend Diane driving around in a convertible, having the time of her life with her boyfriend Jerry, you know, and so the the as we go and you know it's like this montage she's not able to do anything she's having a hard time uh the tone of the antichrist un guy not the the real antichrist but the agent of the antichrist gets more intense and authoritarian he says it can only be assumed by the Imperium that those uncivilized centers of the world who refuse to be identified are working against the goals and purposes of the Imperium, perhaps even in cooperation with the forces which brought about the emergency. Is there? You know, yeah. I just, this is like the the disappearance there's a weird there's, there's always been a weird tension at the heart of this like mm-hmm. you know of, of this dispensationalist vision of like this small remnant of true faithful mm-hmm. christians is going to be raptured everyone else is going to be left behind even the vast majority of people who think that they're christians yeah and like the the raw numbers 
it does kind of fascinate me because mm-hmm. like how many do they think are going to be raptured i don't know versus left behind and how significant of a global emergency to the point Would that like <laughs> you know the un is, like everything is just so absolutely destroyed that the un is just going to sweep in and like it's like okay so like just numerically how many people are we talking yeah right like, there are we've seen that they're excluding so many people from this definition of, of christianity as they understand it um it's sort of like a weird like randian like you know galts gulch you know somehow these people were so fundamental to society that if they're pulled away just uh, everything crumbles i don't know like Except instead of like making alloys they were telling everyone about the bible yeah yeah so um he says in it has been declared by our leader that in the interest of world safety, all people who do not bear the mark of Unite are subject to arrest and prolonged inconvenience, whatever that means. <laughs> That's the best euphemism what ever. It is. Yeah, we're going to see what that means. So Patty gets up, turns off her television. She realizes she's going to have to go on the run. And she's like, it's happening all, all, you know, it's all happening just as I thought it would. This is, this is, there's this like scene of like her, like peeking out of the window in the middle of the night. You can see her whole head and they've got flashlights shining. They would see her, but they don't, they don't see her. It's a terrible way to hide. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's like these like soldiers with a, with like a VW minivan with the word unite painted on the side and like, you know, yeah. lights on it. She's not and even like, like peeking through blinds or anything. She just re- removes the curtain and she's looking through anyway, but they don't see her. Um, and uh, she keeps her lights off. She's um, she leaves her home on foot. She doesn't take anything with her. No, she has no go bag, nothing. She's just walking. Yeah, this this was a lesson for all future preppers. Yeah, <laughs> true. So, um, yeah, so she's got nothing with her. Patty, lukewarm and a terrible prepper. Yeah, terrible. Um, she finds her old pastor, the one who wasn't really a real Christian, hiding in a basement of the church, I think. And he has realized the error of his ways and he's praying, oh God, are you really gone? Are we alone? Um, and like in the middle of the night, he like wanders in yes. on the run. And he's just sitting there like in the basement, just reading the Bible and like, yeah, yeah it, it's, he's in a bad place because he realizes, uh, you know, he was totally wrong yeah. and, you know. Real Christians were right, which yeah. is also another classic oh, trope yeah. of the genre. Yeah, they want this Always so much. Yeah. The key scene where all of the people who didn't believe and you mm-hmm. couldn't convince, once the rapture happens, you know. Oh, yeah. Obviously, After a it's like, well, okay, dispensationalists were right. Yeah. That's Occam's razor. So she comes up to him and he asks if she's part of Unite. And she says, no. And he says, oh, God, how many have I misled? How many are still here because of me? Which is, that's like pretty narcissistic, you know, um, to think that it's his fault. Um, that, that, you know, that people really just couldn't learn about Jesus in whatever way they wanted in, in the United States. Um, and he he realizes he's led 
people astray. So they're going to have to suffer through the tribulation. And he says he can't eat. All he sees are the faces he saw every Sunday. Um, she asks if he has the mark and he says, I have it in my heart. That's good enough. He's pretty. <laughs> he, he's in a, he's in a bad place. He's, he's like, he's, <laughs> he's happy. He's having a real down day. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it turns out the Unite van has been following them, and the two guys come and pass, Patty and the pastor get arrested. Um, because Patty is terrible at operational security as well as prepping. Yeah, yeah. So, um, she. I mean, they probably saw her when she opened the, the curtains. So they, yeah. <laughs> they've been following they, her they just. Time. They just camped out in front of Patty's house and followed her. Yeah. And yeah. Right. So um she we see Patty's in a prison cell or jail cell and uh this really severe looking middle-aged woman. I mean, she she comes over to maybe she's older than I feel like I'm middle-aged, she's older than me. Um she's just really severe looking, and she says, Hey, young lady, what's your problem? And Patty says, I know what's going on and it's evil. It may be too late for me, but I'm not going to join. And um, the woman says, the prison guard, you're one of those religious people, aren't you? You think the emergency is called something called the rapture and Unite is a worldwide power for evil, the beast. Well, Patty is shocked that she knows about it. The woman, I mean, yeah. The Patty's friends did spend years telling everyone telling they could. Everybody about, about so. it, yeah. Um, and the woman points to her the mark on her hand and says, Does this look like a 666 to you? And Patty says, Look, I'm not stupid. I know that's a computer printout for 666. So maybe not a barcode, a computer printout is what they call it. I don't know what that means. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of hand-waving with some of the details. Yeah, um, I don't know what a computer printout of a 666 is, but um, the woman says, well, your Reverend Turner doesn't believe that. He's come around to see that this terrible evil doesn't exist. We talked to him early this morning, and he's come to see that joining us is in everyone's best interest, which this happens in kind of happen. This is sort of like what happens in 1984, which I haven't read recently in it, but she's like, this is like a psychological torture to make her think that her uh, ally has turned on her. And um, so the, this, this is, and I don't think this was planned. So Patty's horrified. They want her to think that he's just changed his mind. So I think this was like an oopsie. Um, the prison guard takes her out of her cell and she sees that Reverend Turner, the pastor, has been shot in the head, is lying on a gurney and being loaded onto a Unite vehicle. So he's been killed. So Patty sees she's about to be killed. Uh, she didn't change her mind just then. And she makes a run for it. She gets away. This worldwide evil power doesn't have the best security either. So she runs. You know, it was the 70s. There were a lot of systems really just depended on everybody's like, you know, just assuming good faith. Yeah. Um, oh, so gar the guards get in a van to go after her and she runs around these emptied out streets of Des Moines for a while. She hides in a building and unites everywhere. Um, 
The guards are dressed up to look kind of like S, S officers. It's just kind of. But they didn't really have the budget for it. No, like they're not. Yeah, um, they're not Hugo Boss outfits or anything. So, um, so Patty, but but I think that's what we're supposed to think. And uh, Patty runs into a, an elderly couple that seems harmless, and she she wants to ask them for help, but she sees the mark of the beast on their heads, and dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, they well, they start walking toward her, sort of like zombies. Like there's this like aimlessness to, to it, and she goes running. Oh, I think this is another horror trope, you know. And she thinks Diane, and she's gonna go to Diane for help. Uh oh, that's the Jeez. bad friend. Um, so. We hear some really scary music, um, and we know she's being hunted, and also this probably isn't a good idea. She calls Diane, tells Diane where she is, and Diane asks her to meet her and Jerry at this dance. Or is his name Jerry? Her yeah. Yeah, yeah. So mustache um, guy. Yeah, yeah. So she keeps I I will always think of Jerry as 70s mustache guy. Right. So she so she keeps running. She meets them, she sees them on a boat waiting for her. Uh or wait, wait, no. She's no, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. She's planning to meet him on a boat. She steals this Unite vehicle and heads toward the dam. Um like it's okay to steal prop, you know, property and break the Ten Commandments when the property is belongs to the beast. I think violating the Ten Commandments against the Antichrist is like doing a good deed, yeah. really. Um, and oh, so she's in this vehicle. She's being followed by a Unite helicopter, so she has to get out and run. She runs down this train track. Um, she thinks she's hidden in some trees, but the helicopter finds her and circles around. She knows she's cornered. She hides in this abandoned shed, and the helicopter pilots spot her, but inexplicably turn away. She doesn't know why. She stands up. She stops cowering. She thinks she's in the clear, and she slowly walks toward the dam. She's made it. She's there to meet Diane and Jerry. So she runs out in the open. Uh, she sees Diane and her boyfriend. Diane's boyfriend has this walkie-talkie, and he says, Okay, all units, we've got her safe in our arms. We see that he has the mark of the beast on his hand. I think it's it's his, it, it's his left hand. It is his left and not his right hand. So Diane has it, too. Um, Diane was... I mean, honestly, it's, it's what we expected of Diane and Jerry. Yeah, so... Um, we see her running, and the song "We Wish We'd All Been Ready" is played again. Um, the lyrics: "She's caught, the sun has come, son of God, and she's been left behind." Although Jesus has not come yet, that happens later in the rapture story. So, um, the helicopters, Diane and her boyfriend, all close in on her. Um, we get this disembodied voice. I think it's probably the uh, the UN guy saying there will be no place to hide anywhere. So she jumps in the water as they're looking down. It's like hurls herself off the side of this like bridge by the dam, right? Yeah. Then she wakes up like it's all been a dream. And then, but it's then, but then the whole thing happens with the radio voice and the emergency. She goes in to find Jerry's uh, 
Jerry's razor is gone. So I don't even know what they were doing with so this. Like, like it, why this start the over? Time third time seen we've seen this scene. Why'd they do that? So I I think it implies a much longer Groundhog's Day style treatment <laughs> that they did not have the budget to complete. Okay, I, that makes that's sense. My, that's my head cam. Okay, because this it made no sense to why they did this again. Um, well, I mean, like structurally, it's like it it ra- it leaves this like weird open ended like off kilter quality of like was all of the that horrifying stuff that happened was that just in her imagination yeah, yeah. was that like a premonition but like it's but very clear it, that it has happened. it has happened now so yeah so like uh they could have just ended it with her running and it would have made more sense or jumping in the water so well i i see i have this theory i think I think the like the artistic intent of that final closing <laughs> scene of her like you know uh, you know the final you know confrontation her being betrayed by her friends mm-hmm. the realization that she's all alone in the world and there's no one she can turn to with this you know you you know horrible totalitarian united nations you know running everything and then she throws herself off the bridge mm-hmm. and she wakes up yeah. And she's back in that moment of realization again. Yeah. I think like it's that moment of realization of waking up to the radio and thinking, oh my gosh, am I alone? Mm-hmm. That I think is the most visceral and identifiable moment mm-hmm. for anybody who's watching this film. And that's because, what like, they want to. Yeah. Because like not many of us have had the, have, have been on like, a, a dramatic, hel- you know, on foot helicopter mm-hmm. chase with like the age of the Antichrist. Yeah. But that moment of being alone and looking around and not knowing where everyone is, mm-hmm. like that's that's a very visible human moment of fright. Yeah. And I think bringing it back to that and after that whole like sequence of like how the end times is playing out and how bad the tribulation is going to be taking it back to that moment i think it, it brings this movie back to what its intent was yeah. and that was to be in churches as a conversion tool. as a yeah true that's true um and so i may have spent a lot of time thinking about this film i do think <laughs> Plot wise, it does not make much sense. It, it is a Groundhog Day kind of thing, and I don't know. Um, yeah, I can see, but it's it like plot wise, it's like was she getting was she getting a a vision from God, but it didn't save her in time? Oh, like, no, yeah, none of it makes sense. Yeah, it's not like like it's not even like, and she wakes up before the rapture and has a moment of realization because there are actually a bunch of other low budget like straight to video like you know 45 minute long you know rapture end times movies that different studios produced Mm -hmm. over the course of like the 
especially where one of the themes is someone warns somebody about the rapture and they fall asleep and they, you know, imagine, you know, the rapture happening and things being bad. And then they wake up and they're, you know, they're shaken by it. And they say, oh, but now I've got it. Now I've got time to choose. Right. And like, that's a common arc. But with this one, it's like, nope, Patty's still screwed. <laughs> she yep. woke up from the dream and it's still after the rapture. Yep. Sucks to be Patty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so we do get another Bible verse on the screen. This one from the King James Bible, I think. Um, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you know not when the time is. And um, And then we see the announcer again explaining... Uh, the special announcement, the UN, it's all happening exactly as she dreamed it. The UN has announced it's just Groundhog's Day moment. Yep. Um, and the screen goes back and, and we read the end is near. All right. Yep. So you, you, you kind of followed what happens in the other movies. Do you want to say a little bit so, about it? I mean, it, none of them have the, I mean, I'll say that the like structurally, Thief in the Night is interesting. Yeah. In the sort of, it's the first of the series. Yeah. It plays with this sort of looking back at all of the opportunities these people yeah. had to choose Jesus, but then they decided not to, and then look how terrible it goes for them. Like structurally, it has like a kind of, I'll say like a novelty to it mm-hmm. that like. The, the 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 team that produced this was bringing a new twist a new angle to this stuff mm-hmm. so you know i tip my hat to the craft <laughs> that went into it Do the, subsequent movie yeah. did not did not have in oh, like okay. they, they follow a lot of the same characters recur and you know are followed in it i think patty uh appears in i think the next two films but i'm pretty sure she gets killed in the third one um jerry the you know mustache guy and diane are recurrent characters Mm -hmm. until the last film that by the by the time like the movie the prodigal planet rolls around Mm -hmm. like there's been nuclear exchanges and albuquerque is a wasteland and there's (laughs) you know like the you know the radiation mutant monsters and there's character and like there's characters who are trying to like form a resistance and figure out how to like fool the computer that tracks the mark of the beast and stuff like that so there's a there's like a lot of essentially just you know scene chewing gotta make an adventure movie kind of stuff that goes on with i read that they Um, kind of get more political as we get into the 80s did you see any of that like you know i i i didn't i didn't well i'll be honest i didn't watch the last two quite as close okay because what Um, i read was thematic stuff like the the idea of computers and barcodes being you know the the big deal of the you know this is what was coming into play before the Mm -hmm. you know before the rapture and everything there's there's a couple of like flashback moments in um i think um the image of the beast where someone is having recollections about you know 
picking up a book in the store and being, you know, you know, it, mm-hmm. a bookstore book about, um, you know, how, how computers were going to usher in, you know, the, the, you know, system of the Antichrist, mm-hmm. but they didn't take it seriously. It's sort of in the same vein, but like, it doesn't have the same, hmm. I get like, I guess with the, the thing is like, none of the other three movies have that same fundamental, just, personal anchoring that the first movie does okay like for all its faults a thief in the night is about very small scale like human stakes relationships and the experience of isolation and aloneness Mm -hmm. and the other ones are like uh okay how do they build the antichrist computer and uh (laughs) how do you know how do they start movement yeah. and you know and they're going through the desert and they've got to escape the mutants and and it like it it feels like it was a, it reflected the sort of arc that certain you know end times and rapture narratives were starting to take yeah. as they tried to become more rooted in like you know ripped from the headlines mm-hmm. type stuff okay we talked about that in the, la- in the last episode of like the arc of like christian rapture novels going from like yeah. fairly simplistic you know a pastor had a ghost written novel that laid out their theory of how the rapture would happen to essentially like you know bad clive cussler novel adventure political yarns yeah. with the rapture backdrop and like i think you see a little bit of the same arc in this Mm -hmm. because it's i mean there's a lot of stuff going on in revelation and a lot of it is not necessarily adaptation friendly yeah um and you know interestingly enough i think probably one of the first one one of the first books to really try that was the left behind series Mm -hmm. which ran to like 13 novels going from wow. like the same sort of moment of the rapture stuff we see in thief in the night yeah. to eventually like, oh yes you know all of the different stuff that happens in revelation according to the dispensationalist timeline eventually gets its own book in hmm. the left behind novels and you know like the millennial reign of christ and the the final battle and it's, hmm. it it's 13 books long it's a big series did you that was kind of you said coming out like when you were getting out of this yeah Mm -hmm. like i i sort of i had a a a kitsch collection of left behind books um like it wasn't like something that at the time i was like consuming yeah as a a non-ironic consumer (laughs) of rapture right right um and but like i think what even at the time what i found interesting was what a what a it, it was a real windfall for tyndale house publishing mm-hmm. to get like a a series that was such a huge runaway success it eventually ended up being like 73 books total like right. spin-offs and you know for kids versions and graphic novel adaptations and stuff like that i was and in college it, and i worked at this um ice cream shop where i had worked um in in uh high school you know for summers and i remember just the people there who were not evangelical christians were all reading it and talking about it 
And I just was, I was really, I didn't feel, it was weird. That was such a, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I, and I still think that like, I, I look at the thief in the night and I think it's a really profoundly emotionally manipulative film. Yes. And it's like built to scare people mm-hmm. in a, you know, in a controlled environment into making a religion, into a religious conversion. It coer- it's a, yeah, it's a way of coercing right. people into like, making it. Yeah. It's also much more emotionally effective than a lot of the, the other stuff, other yeah. rapture work that attempt to be like, that attempt to take like a larger scale picture of what's going on in the world. I think like, it's, yeah, I think that's why so many people, for, the Gen X people talk about being terrified by it as children. Yeah. yeah. Cause like it, it doesn't waste any time trying to explain like, you know, why Russia is trying to invade Israel to fulfill a particular right, prophecy and right. or whatever. No, it, that's, we're talking yeah. about um, the be late great. Be patty. What? No. Yeah. There's none of that. Like, and that's what the late great planet earth does, which is the big, um, you know, the stuff with Russia. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which really, we're going to talk about that uh, next time. Yeah, uh, I, think, well, I think we are. Yeah. Um, we are reading The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsay. I don't recommend that you buy it yourself. You can just listen to us if you want. Um, it, if you're really determined, it, it is available for checkout as part of the Internet Lending Library on uh, the, the Internet Archive. Oh, really? Um, Hmm. Yeah, okay. it's um, it's a badly it, it's like a shoddily written book, and it's also a startlingly offensive. Book it's yeah, it is. It's oh wow, it's like it's anti-Semitic and racist, and yeah, and yeah, poorly sourced too. It's like it's yeah. you know, there's yeah, there, there's a lot to be said about it, but. It it makes sense how it made it big, like it slotted yeah. in with us into the sort of generic, interested in new age topics. Uh huh. Yeah, it starts out. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it in the next one, but yeah, yeah, it starts out with an introduction about astrology, and it's like trying to position itself as part of you know. I'm a um, hip, open-minded yeah, guy. Yeah. I know about Paul Newing and astrology, and now we're going to talk about Bible prophecy. Yeah, so that's the next episode. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, and th- thanks for joining uh, us. Um, and if you uh, if you haven't watched A Thief in the Night and you uh, and and you endured through here, uh, endured through our recounting of it, I I hope it at least helps give a sort of you know, give an, give an impression of, you know, what this, this film podcast is. This podcast is now not. running like 20 minutes longer than the, than the actual movie. <laughs> yes. We, we yeah, it, yeah. It, so it is. <laughs> well, on that note, um, um, if you, if you want to check us out on, um, on Twitter and uh, check in, we're at C right cast on Twitter. Um, if you want to, 
come and uh, read episode notes, show notes, um, view, you know, re- listen to past episodes. We're at writecast.substack.com. And uh, you can also subscribe. And uh, if you would like and you're able to, you can also uh, subscribe and support the show uh, to help uh Help us keep on producing these episodes and uh, keep us in bad thrift store copies yeah. of terrible theology books. Yep. Um, but, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you'll come back next time to hear our take on uh, the late, great planet Earth.